So we're talking about being an owner, owning your responsibilities. We don't have members here at the bridge. We have owners. Members have rights. Owners have responsibility. And as we think about the term owner, what person in the Bible comes to mind? And last week we decided that uh, the person that we would like to see um, in our church, more Barnabases, more Barnabases. We study, we're studying the life of Barnabas, and we'll study it today and next Sunday. Next Sunday is the last Sunday in this series, last message in this series, but we're looking at the life of Barnabas. And uh, the next sermon series, beginning June 30th, is Judge Not. Judge Not. We're going to find out what Jesus really meant by that. We hear that thrown out a lot, don't we? Judge Not, Judge Not, you know. We're going to find out what Jesus meant by that. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for that? All right, we're going to study it because we're going to hear it a lot in these days that we live, and it's going to be thrown at you a lot because you claim to be a Christian. So judge not, you know, when you take a stand for righteousness and purity and holiness, a lot of people will look at you when you do that and go, judge not. So we're going to look at, is that what Jesus meant? Is that what he meant? I believe this Barnabas is our best biblical example of the kind of bridge owner we desire and far more importantly, the kind of owner God wants all bridge owners to be. His name was Joseph, but they gave him a nickname and his nickname was Barnabas and that means son of consolation or son of comfort or son of encouragement. If there's anything we all need in this world that we live in today, it is some encouragement. Because we look around us and there seems to be an epidemic of discouragement. I ask you what I asked you last week. I put the challenge out there again. If the community that we live in here, that you live in, some of you drive from uh, the west area and come east to the church. Some of you drive from the east and come west to the church. Some of you from the south, you drive north to the church. Some of you north drive south to get here so wherever you are whatever community you're in can I ask you a question if the communities we live in are not going to find encouragement from the church if the communities we live in are not going to find encouragement from Christians from the followers of God where are they going to find it people need to be encouraged and it is the responsibility of the church to provide that encouragement because the encouragement we provide is not temporary. It's permanent. Now listen, why would the enemy work so hard to discourage you? Why would he work so hard? Why would he be so diligent to discourage you? Here's why. Because when you get discouraged, you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed. You ever been in that deep discouragement and you just couldn't, you just couldn't move? You just couldn't, didn't want to get up in the morning? I mean, it was just a lot of negative things that happened in your life and you just became very discouraged. It's paralyzing. Discouragement is paralyzing. So one of the reasons the enemy focuses on that and works in that area of your life so much is because if he can't get you to just leave God, he wants to just paralyze you. The other reason he works on it so hard is because when you are encouraged in the Lord, you feel like you can do anything. 
You don't feel like there's anything you can't do. You're motivated. You're on fire. You're, you take risk in witnessing and loving on people. When you're encouraged, man, you're up and you're ready to go and you're ready to make a difference for God. So why wouldn't the enemy work very hard to discourage us? When we get discouraged, it is highly in his favor. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 514, it's in your notes there if you're following along with me. I believe it's in your notes. He said, uh, comfort the feeble-minded. The reference is there. Comfort the feeble-minded. And when we read that in the King James Version, it looks like God is saying comfort those who are senile. Comfort those who are uh, mentally challenged. Comfort those who are, who are intellectually weak. That is not what that word means. I think it's important. I think it's really telling here that the word feeble-minded, when you look back in the Greek, it is the word discouraged. Comfort the discouraged. When you are discouraged, this reinforces what we've already said this morning. When you are discouraged, you're not sharp. You're not on top of your game. You're not alert. When you get discouraged, you know what happens if you're not really careful? You become very selfish during a time of discouragement. So in the rest of the series, I want us to see five characteristics in the life of Barnabas that made him a powerful owner in his local church. I want us to see five characteristics that I pray God will develop in my life and that God will develop in your life. Now, last week, I gave you one of them because there was a blank on the page, and I saw some of you panicking that you weren't going to get that blank filled in. So we filled it in, and y'all were able to leave and enjoy your Bojangles. Amen. So let's go back, because we didn't preach on it, and let's talk about the first characteristic of Barnabas. We mentioned it. We talked about it a little bit, but let's dig a little deeper this morning. First of all, Barnabas teaches us that an encourager lifts the burdens of others. That's what goes in that first blank, lifts the burdens of others. Now, I want to really challenge you today, and i got to tell you something. As I'm challenging you today, I'm challenging me. Because i got to tell you, I don't drift toward helping others. I drift toward looking after me. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you, I'm calling on you to be a person who not only studies the Word of God and learns the Word of God and goes into the deep things of the Word of God, but hey, how about let's walk out the Word of God. And the Word of God says that if I'm a follower of Jesus, one of the things I'm going to do is encourage people. Now, I believe that there is the gift of encouragement, the spiritual gift of encouragement. Have you ever met somebody like that who just has the gift of encouragement? I mean, they just, everybody, they meet when they walk away from that person or that person walks away from them, that person's lifted up. Now, we all love to run into that person. But the gift of encouragement, it's kind of like prayer. We know people who have the gift of prayer, but how many of us are supposed to pray? All of us. We know people who have the gift of encouragement, but how many of us should be encouragers? All of us. We should all be encouragers. So let's read Acts 4, 36 and 37. It says, it says, there, Joseph called by the apostles. We read this last week. Joseph called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of, son of comfort, a Levite, born in Cyprus, sold, listen to this, 
Barnabas sold a field that he owned. I know if you weren't here last week, you're probably thinking, oh, pastor's going to talk about money today. I might just a little bit. Joseph, called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of consolation or son of comfort or son, or son of encouragement, a Levite born in Cyprus, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and made an offering of it to the apostles. I want you to listen now. I want, you, I want to ask a question. Why, why would Barnabas take land that he owned? Maybe it was an inheritance. Maybe it was land he purchased. Why would he take that land and sell it and then bring the money to the apostles who were leading that little baby church? Why would a man do something like that? Why would he do something like that? Here's why. Here's why. Because he saw the great distress of the people. He saw the new baby church under pressure. He saw it distressed. He saw it stressed. And it was in the land of Jerusalem at that time because the great revival had broken out. Great revival had broken out. This is right after the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost had come. You remember I told you all a few weeks ago, 3,000 people got saved the first day. So when, when news began to spread, I mean, it spread like wildfire, that revival, something's happening in the spiritual realm down in Jerusalem. And people came from everywhere to see what in the world was going on. It was powerful. It was supernatural. It was life-changing. Miracles were happening. And people came to see what was going on. They poured into the city of Jerusalem. Many of them became Christians. Many of them, after hearing about what was going on and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead, they were saved. And so they decided to stay in Jerusalem because they wanted to learn more about their faith. Now, you have to remember that these people had no home to sleep in. They had left their homes to come. And enjoy this revival. There were no hotels. There were no wealthy people to take care of them. There was just these common, ordinary people that had come from everywhere to see what was happening. On top of that, on top of them having nothing and no resources, there was persecution. Persecution came immediately upon, upon the church. There was nowhere you could go and hide from the persecution. There was no, nothing to eat. It was just a time of chaos and a time of great need. And one of the greatest needs they had was financial resources. And the Bible says they were stressed. They were discouraged. Listen to me. And Barnabas saw the discouragement. He saw the stress. Did you know good things and challenging things can be happening at the same time? As a matter of fact, good things often bring challenges. So revival came and revival is happening. So people are coming down there, wonderful, awesome. People are getting saved. People are coming to Christ. By the hundreds, they're being saved. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and here they are enjoying this wonderful time, but it brought challenges because that revival threatened the religious community, the Pharisees, the Jewish Pharisees, and it threatened the Romans. And so they began to pour out persecution. So they're getting persecution from the people who are in charge. They're getting persecution from the government, but they're also getting persecution from the religious system there. 
How many of you know if you don't do stuff like everybody else is doing, other churches might criticize you? I've heard of that. I've heard of it. I've heard that might happen. So that's what's going on. And Barnabas has a heart of an encourager, and he's looking around, and he's seeing all this, and Barnabas is trying to figure out, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to bring some encouragement? He goes, I know what I can do. I've got a valuable piece of land. I will go sell that land, and I will give the money to the church, and then they can feed the people and help the people and, and, and meet many of the needs of the people. And so here's the deal. This is in your notes, and I'll put it in there because I want you to see it. For him, and I want you to see it for yourself. He saw a need, and he met it. You know, when they were talking about the family who's leaving, I've got this uh, love-hate relationship with the United States Air Force. I love the United States Air Force, and I love the people they bring into our community, but about the time we really fall head over heels in love with them, they move them. It's just where we live. It's just where we are. But i got to tell you something, man. It's, it's heartbreaking. I looked over there at Larry this morning. I said, Larry, I'm tired of hearing about a new family that's being moved somewhere every week from our church. It breaks my heart. I can't stand it. Don't y'all feel that way? I mean, I, mean, I just love them. But I want to say to them something. Matter of fact, I want to say to any of you who are visiting today. You don't go to church here. Maybe you go to church somewhere else. Maybe you live in another community. Maybe you're going to leave our church and go to another church. I, I don't know what your plans are, but let me tell you, wherever you go, when you see a need, meet it. And here's what you need to pray for. God, help me see needs. Help me see hurting people. Y'all remember that famous movie, I See Dead People? Well, here's what you want to say. You want to say, God, show me the brokenhearted. Show me the discouraged. Show me the hurting. And then, God, when you do that, then speak to me and show me what they need. And, God, if you'll give me the resources to help them in some way, I will help them. I'm telling you, if you'll do that right there, you'll live a rich life. You'll live a full life. You'll live a blessed life. He saw a need and he met it. He saw something that had to be done and he did it. I love it. He saw a load and he what? Lifted it. I love this scripture in Galatians 6 2. It's in your notes there. Paul said, Stoop down. Isn't that good? Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. I love that next part of that next sentence. Share their what? Burdens. You see, this is what an encourager does. Now, here's the good thing about being an encourager. Here's the, here's the good thing about being an encourager. See, you're, if you're not walking in the Lord and you're not walking in the Spirit and, and you're not walking in intimacy with God, when you hear me preach like this, there's this little voice going, what about me? But see, you just got to remember that whatever you sow, you will. 
Did you know if you sow insensitivity, you will re- when you need some sensitivity, people to be sensitive to you, you're not going to reap sensitivity if you've sowed insensitivity. You're going to reap what you sowed. If you're a merciful person, if you're a graceful person, if you're a forgiving person, if you're a person who, who uh, sees discouraged people and you encourage them, sometimes you don't really have money you can give. You don't have any resources you can give. Sometimes all you can give is a, an encouraging word because you've got your own challenges going on. But the fact of the matter is when you sow encouragement into people, listen, guys, when you need it, you're going to reap it. It's going to be there for you. So really, when we are all about others, it becomes all about, isn't that amazing? It's just how God works. This is what encouragers do. They stoop down. Listen to me now. This is what owners do. You say, well, I'm not an owner there at the bridge. I mean, I hadn't stood up on the stage and, you know, formally become an owner. Yeah, but let me just ask you. When people ask you where you go to church, you say the bridge? You know, yeah. Well, then you have responsibility in this local body that you've identified yourself with. This is what owners do. This is what encouragers do. They go around looking for burdens to lift. And again, you might say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't really have any property to sell. This is narrow thinking. When people read a story like that in the Bible and they see that, that, that Barnabas sold his land and then he took the money and he came over here and he gave, you go, you go, I can't do that. I don't have any money. I don't have any land. I don't have anything I can sell. So I'm out. But do you have some love you can give? A hug you can give? You got a little wisdom? You got a little bit of advice or discipleship? How about just some time? How about serving somebody? I mean, is there there a mother who you know who has a sick child and her husband's been deployed and you could go over and give her a little break, give her a little bit of rest? Do you know of an elderly person who has difficulty mowing their grass and you could just ride over to their house and and mow their grass? Do you ride by a house where you know the people in there can't help themselves and you see work that needs to be done? Could you just stop by one day? Could you just call some of your buddies? Maybe you're in a small group here and you could show up at that house one day or go by and say, listen, my group at my church, we just want to come and bless you guys. We know you're having a tough time right now and we just want to come and bless you. Do you know Do you know that when you sow that little seed, you don't get back one little seed, you get back a whole bunch of seeds? Amen. When it comes to sowing and reaping, you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap what? More than you sow. So important. Do you know somebody who's lost their job? They could just use some encouragement, a cup of coffee, go out, to coffee and just sit down with them. Loan them a car. Loan, loan them whatever they might need. Find out what they need. Here's the deal, man. Here, you say, well, I don't really know anybody like that. That's where the spiritual part comes in. Ask God to show you somebody. I mean, what, do you think if you got on your knees in prayer and said, God, show me somebody I can help, God would go, I'm not going to do it. No, God, you want, you want to help somebody? God will show you somebody to help. I remember one time um, I pastored a church in Cary, uh, North Carolina, and my boys uh, were little, and somebody gave me a country ham. 
And I was like, oh, yeah. And uh, so we were just thinking about what we were going to do with that country ham because some of it was going to get boiled and some collards were going to be thrown. Y'all with me? Is anybody out there? Amen. And you Yankees don't understand that stuff, man. I'm praying for you. Listen. And as about the time we made all the plans of what we was going to do with that country ham, can you imagine what God said to me? Go give it to somebody. Really? I wouldn't, listen, I'm not up here bragging. I didn't like it. And I was like, I'm going to cut the best part out, and I'm going to give, I'm not going to just bless one person. I'm going to bless two people and give them the ends. And I'll just get that. I mean, that's the kind of guy I am. I'm going to bless two people. God was like, mm. So here's what I did. I put my two boys about this big in my car, and we joined hands and prayed because I didn't know who to give it to. You know, Cary is a pretty affluent area. And most of them who live there don't even know what country ham is, bless their heart. <laughs> so I joined hands with my, my boys. And I said, we're going to pray God will show us somebody to give this ham to, Dad Burnett. And, <clears throat> and we pray, and I'm telling you, buddy, my boys were up at the window. What about that guy? I said, I ain't feeling it. <laughs> so we, you know, and we rode around, and we finally found a guy who didn't speak any English. And um, he was working on a house, and I could just tell by the way he looked and that he was just working on this house. He was trying to get this house ready for him to uh, live in and ready for his family to live in. And we drove up there and gave that to him, and he was just so thankful. Let me ask you something. You think my boys ever forgot that? My boys never forgot that. Listen, when you go do something for somebody, take your children with you. When you go help somebody, take your children with you and go and tell your children, we're going to go help this person because that's what Jesus would do. We're going to go encourage this person. Take your children with you to the nursing home. Take your children with you to the rest home. Take your, you want to find some discouraged people? Go to the nurse home, nursing homes and the rest homes. You want to find some discouraged people? You're going to find people there who get no visits and no cards. You're going to find people there who worked and worked and worked and saved and saved all their life, and their children come along and took that, and they never come to see them anymore. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not saying everybody's like that. They're just some you're going to find. And you're going to go by and encourage them. And you're going to go by and pray with them. I love uh, John Barry and his wife. John owns First Tee over there on uh, uh, Spence Avenue, that golf place. First Tee. Is that what it's called, First Tee? And his family, they go to the bridge in, uh, in Goldsboro uh, yeah, on Thursday nights. And they go to the rest home there, and they split up as a family. Have y'all met little John Barry? Who knows little John? His son, little John. That kid is unreal. He's about this high, and he's a man. How are you today? I am well. How are you? Good to see you. God bless you. I'm not kidding you. I'm inti he intimidates me. So they split up in the rest home nursing home, and everybody in the family just goes room to room, and John just goes around, little John, little John, goes around and just prays, and the other week he prayed with a lady and led her to Jesus. He's about this high. 
Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Here's my point. We all have something to give. Just think about it. Right now, think about it. You've got a piece of paper there. I gave it to you. There are pens there. We gave you those pens. If you think of somebody, write their name down right now. Write down their name right now before you forget about it. And I want you to think about this question. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in a church full of people who are always constantly looking around to see if there's somebody who's burdened, somebody who's discouraged? What if we were a church that everybody in the church took on their responsibility to look around and say, who can I bless? What burden can I lift? Who can I give a little break to? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. And Jesus then said, be like me. So we're supposed to go around giving people a little break, giving people a little rest. You say, well, I really don't know disabled people, and I really don't know. Well, I tell you what you do. You call the church and talk to Pastor Jimmy, uh, Pastor Jimmy, Pastor uh, Jeremy, Pastor Andy. These are our pastoral care pastors, Pastor Jimmy Outreach. They know about people who, who you could just go be a blessing to. Now look, look, listen. I'm giving you the key to breakthrough in your own life. I'm giving you the key this morning to break through in your own life because some of you are trying to achieve success. Some of you are trying to achieve spiritual breakthrough in your life and you're like, man, I'm in Bible study and I'm getting discipled. I heard about a church recently that said we don't have outreach here because we're just always in training. Well, you know what? I think training and doing some outreach can happen simultaneously. As a matter of fact, we will work you while you're looking for Jesus. Amen? Because it is in service that you see his heart. It is in service and ministry that you see his, you see what Jesus does, not just hear what Jesus says. But you call these guys. They will hook you up with people. and You can drop by, check on them. You know, one day, if the Lord tarries, you're going to be elderly. Did you know that? So if you want people to look after you when you're elderly, then you better be reaching out to people during their during their times of being elderly. Isn't that right? I didn't mean to, I'm not here to heap guilt on you today, but I, I just want to have a church who says, I just walks up to people and goes, I see you have a need. I think I can help you with that. So simple. That's exactly what Barnabas did. He saw one thing he could do. Quit, quit saying I can't do anything because you're thinking about a bunch of things. He saw one thing he could do, and he did it. You know what I think God will do? When you do that one thing, then he'll open up other areas and show you where you can be a blessing in other areas. See, Barnabas knew the difference between ownership and stewardship. Now, there's, two, there's a negative kind of ownership, too, and that is this is my church. I own this church. I don't want anybody messing in my church. I don't want anybody coming to my church. I don't want any new people coming to my church. I only want people who come to my church who look like me and act like me and dress like me. I don't want anybody coming to my church who doesn't look like I look, act like I, li- act like I act, and, and, and do what I do and think like I think. See, that's the wrong kind of ownership right there. Y'all with me? But see, Barnabas understood ownership. He also understood stewardship. He thought of that piece of land not as his. He thought of that piece of land as a resource, and it was available. He understood that he was a temporary manager over that piece of land. 
And the way Barnabas looked at it was, he thought, well, that's why God gave me that piece of land. I don't know when he got it, but I'm going to just say a year. He got it 10 years ago. He goes, that's why the Lord gave me that piece of land 10 years ago, because he knew a revival was going to break out, and a lot of people were going to come into the area, and they needed to be fed, and they needed to be blessed, and we were going to need some money. So that's why he gave me that piece of land 10 years ago. He thought, I am a temporary manager over that piece of land. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to take the money and give it to the church, because that's why God gave me that piece of land. That's how he looked at it. You see, everything you possess needs to be available to God. I'll just pause while y'all say amen right there. It's hard to say amen to that. It's hard to say amen and say everything I own is available to God. If God were to call on you to do something extravagantly generous, is your stuff available to him? I heard a preacher preaching one time. He said, you know, if you'll tithe, God, if you'll tithe 10%, God will bless the 90% in ways, and he'll, he'll help you to get more out of that 90% than you could ever get out, out of it on your own. He'll bless that and multiply it. And, and, you know, I thought, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. And, and I'm not saying that's altogether wrong, but, you know, I thought it's not the 90% that we keep that he blesses. It's the 10% we gave away. Isn't that what he blesses? I mean, think about the farmer, the seed he puts in the ground. Isn't that the one that produces? It isn't the seed he kept in the barn, but it's the seed he put in the ground that multiplied. It's the seed he put in the ground that grew and was a blessing. It's not what you, in, you keep, it's what you give away, it's what you invest, it's what you sow that multiplies and comes back to you again and again and again. The way to be blessed is to be a blessing. Barnabas did not give to get. We're not to give to get. He simply gave to lift a load. What was his motive? So, Pastor, are you telling us that Barnabas gave this land so he'd get some more land down the road? No, he just gave it to lift a load. He was an encourager. And we have Barnabases in this church. And my prayer and my idea in preaching this is that God would give us more Barnabases. Let me give you one more thing about him. Not only did Barnabas lift the burden of others, but number two, and don't get nervous, I can go through this real quick. Number two, Barnabas teaches us that an encourager connects people for friendship. Write that in your second blank. Connects people for friendship. This episode that I'm going to read to you now in this part of the sermon is right after the conversion of Saul. You all do know before Paul was Paul, he was who? Saul. And this is right after that conversion. And before Saul's conversion, you do remember what he did. He was a severe persecutor of Christians. I mean, he is the, y'all remember when Stephen got stoned in the book of Acts? You remember when Stephen got stoned to death? I think it's Acts chapter 6. The Bible says that Paul held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death. Or Saul, not Paul. He was Saul at that time. So he was a severe persecutor. He thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting Christians. Listen, he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do in persecuting these Christians. But Jesus appeared to him on the road to, y'all are so biblical. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he was saved. He was converted. And now we read in Acts 9, 23, look what it says. It's right there in your notes. Follow along with me. After some days, the Jews, these were the Jewish 
Pharisees, these were the religious leaders. These were not the the people who had been saved and the the people who were being filled with the Holy Spirit, but the Jews who who hated the Christians. The Bible says, after some days, the Jews talked together about Saul and about his conversion and made plans how they might kill Saul. So he is their hero one day because he's persecuting Christians. He gets saved on the road to Damascus. Now the very people who held him up as a hero want to what? They want to kill him. The Jews wanted to kill Paul because they now viewed him as a traitor, as a turncoat. He was now born again in Christ and was preaching the gospel. And they wanted him dead. Look at Acts 9, 24 and 25. Let's just walk through this. So he heard of their plans. Day and night they watched for him at the city gates to kill him. So the followers helped him get away at night. Y'all remember how they did that? Y'all remember Scott Smith's sermon? Don't what? Don't let go of the rope. Y'all still remember that sermon, don't you? You should. I gave it to him. They let him down the wall in a basket. Now, here is this honored Pharisee, this man of high honor. But he gives his life to Jesus, and he is no longer a man of high honor. He's in a basket being let down the wall so they won't kill him. Now, look at Acts 9, 26. So Saul, or when Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the Christians. You know what I say about that? Help him, Jesus. Because it's sometimes hard if you're a new Christian, or especially if you're not a Christian at all, to get in with the Christians. And isn't that the truth? That's why I stand out there every day, every Sunday morning, y'all make your little comments. Because I want people who meet Pastor Farrell, who is at this time the senior pastor of this church, to know I welcome you here. I don't care who you are, where you are on your journey. I don't care if you scare me when I see you. You are welcome up in here. You're welcome. Now y'all are clapping, but I'm going to preach. Not everybody feels that way here. we got some work to do on that. I think sometimes God might send an angel here unawares. We might not know it's an angel and just make him freaky looking. Poor, smelly. Just to see how we act. And just to see if our talk is just a talk. Or if we walk what we walk. Are y'all with me? The Bible says we entertain angels when we don't know it. You better treat them right. So when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the followers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe he was a true follower of Jesus. So here he has got the Jews, the the religious people who used to be his buddies, they want to kill him. So he comes over to the Christians and said, hey guys, I've been saved, and they don't want him either. He's got a new position in life. 
He needs to connect with the Christians. They're afraid of him. He can't go back, doesn't want to go back. They want to kill him. He's in no man's land. He's a man without a country. These Christians are very suspicious of him. They have every right to be. He killed their families. He savagely murdered their friends and families. It's kind of like Chuck Colson, the whole Watergate thing. You know, Chuck Colson's an awesome Christian. And when he first got saved, he said to the church, I'm a Christian. I, I would like to be accepted by the church. And everybody looked at him and said, aren't you Nixon's hatchet man? And he had a hard time getting into the church because of his past life. Better be careful. So the Christians didn't want him. But look who comes to the rescue. Old Barney. Old Barnabas. Son of comfort, son of encouragement, sits down and listens. Stands back and listens to Paul preach. And look what he says in Acts 9, 27 through 30. Then Barnabas took him to the missionaries, took him to the church. So Paul had tried to go to church and they were like, dude, you come in here, we'll, we'll go brave heart on you. So Barnabas took him to the missionaries and he told them that Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. He told them also how the Lord had spoken to Saul and how he had, how he had preached, how Saul preached without fear in Damascus. And how did he preach? Look at the end. In the name of Jesus. Look at verse 28. After that, he was with them going in and out of Jerusalem. In other words, he was one of us. Verse 29, he preached without fear in the name of the Lord. He talked and argued with the Jews who spoke the Greek language. They kept trying to kill him. Now look, look at this. When the followers heard what Barnabas said, they took him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? When the followers of Jesus heard what Barnabas said about Paul, then they received him. Paul was a man who needed a friend. Paul was a new Christian. New Christians need friends. We got a lot of new Christians in our church family. Are you encouraging them? You say, I don't know who they are. You know why a lot of us don't know who they are? Because we get in here as late as we can and get out as early as we can. We don't know anybody. Did I just say that out loud? I'm just saying, guys. I hear people complain, I don't know anybody out there at the church. It's because you get here after everybody gets here and you leave. So, I mean, there's some people today, when I have everybody stand, probably not today since I'm talking about it, but when I have everybody stand at the end, man, they're out the door and they're the same ones complaining. I don't know anybody at the church. Really? Because I would have thought you would have met tons of people during the service. So Barnabas became a friend to Paul first, and then he hooked him up with other friends. Wow, that's some encouragement right there. Let me just close. I watched a special, it's been a long time ago, John Stossel talked about these little babies, little babies that were born into families that didn't touch and didn't hug. John Stossel talked about these little babies that were born into churches where there was no eye, born into homes, rather, where there's no eye contact, no laughter, no cuddling, no touching, no caressing, no stroking, and none of the attention and affections that little babies need. 
He talked about how these little babies were deprived of love and acceptance. And because of that, they had severe psychological problems and maladjustments. And here's the line in that report. Y'all like John Stossel? He can rock a stash. There aren't many people who can do it, but he can do it. And this is the line that struck me. Child psychologists say, listen to this, it is impossible to spoil a baby in the first year of its life. You can kiss and hug and love and smooch and get that sugar all you want to. And you cannot spoil a baby in the first year. Pour it on. And that is the most crucial time in a new Christian's life is the first year. Pastor Andy and Pastor Jeremy and many of our staff members, you can find out who our new Christians are and be an encouragement to them if you want to be. Do you see the heart of Barnabas? Can I ask you a question this morning? Is this the kind of owners we want here at the bridge? Who, when we walk in on a Sunday morning, it ain't about us. We're looking for somebody who's discouraged. We're looking for somebody who's down. As a matter of fact, we don't just start Sunday like that. We start every day like that. And we start in our home. And then as we go out into our community and schools and work, we're just asking God to show us people who need a pat on the back, who need a word of encouragement, who need to be lifted up. God, help me. Be filled with the spirit of Barnabas. Help me to be that kind of owner here at the bridge.